And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I usually will introduce my guest before they get here. But, uh, Larry, you showed up. You showed up early. It's a character defect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a, a writer, you're supposed to show up uh, late, smelling of tobacco, whiskey, and opium. Right. Well, once I gave up those three things, I started getting places early. <laughs> right. Clearly, that's what happened. So, Larry Block uh, is my guest, Lawrence Block. And at the risk of embarrassing myself in front of him, and, and luckily I've done that many times, um, I was just saying, Larry, you know this. You know, uh, if someone asked me to name the, the five writers whose work I've read the most, you'd be one of them. You'd probably make the top three. And uh, I think I started reading your books when I was 14 years old. In fact, in the last short story collection of stories about one of your characters, Matt Scudder, uh, I wrote sort of an introduction or appreciation of the character where I talk about being a 14-year-old and, and the effect that your books had on me since then. And uh, so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, you are one of the most accomplished. Uh, you've won every award a crime writer can can win. Uh, and beyond that, you've written many books that aren't crime books. I was thinking about this. Um, you've been a novelist, essayist, memoirist. You've been like a personal improvement writer, a seminar leader, a runner, a competitive walker. We could kind of pick moments if we wanted to uh, from each of those. But then you'd be my only guest I ever had on <laughs> the show. So thank you uh, for being here. I got to say, and the reason that we pick now is A Walk Among the Tombstones, which is a movie starring Liam Neeson directed by Scott Frank that uh, is either coming out this Friday when people are hearing this or will have just come out the Friday before, is based on... A Matt Scudder novel. What number? What number ten? Number ten in the Matt Scudder series, and it's a great novel. And uh, I know you've waited a long time for someone to make a good movie <laughs> out of one of your books. Indeed, indeed. It the <clears throat> um, Eight Million Ways to Die, which is the fifth book in the series, was filmed in 1985 or six. I forget when. I think it was a 86 release uh, with Jeff Bridges, and. Uh, it was just not a good movie. Uh, Jeff uh, did some very good work in the film, but he will be the first to tell you and anyone else who will listen that they really screwed it up. Well, I don't need anyone to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I went and saw it. You know, the night that it... Uh, I went and saw the night that it came out because I was already such a big fan of the books. And it's that book is a in the, kind of like the first wave of the, the series. That book is a huge turning point for the character and it was a crucial book but they said it in la but there's some great things in that movie because andy garcia is spectacular in yes film. he is uh but they said it in la and it just didn't feel like the world you'd created right no it didn't and it also you know in one sense it's not really the job of a, a film to be true to the vision of the whoever wrote the book that's uh that's secondary at best, but they didn't make a good movie either. And I, th I heard that I heard various reasons for why they uh, shifted it to L.A. and none of them were artistic considerations. 
Well, I'm sure that that's the case. And I mean, the director had has made in, in, incredible movies, but he was sick at that point, right? He was really circling the drain. Hal Ashby, who was a, a sweet man, I, I met him once on, on the set. He was a nice, gentle guy, and he had this real air of, uh, I was going to say impending doom, but it's more <laughs> as though the doom had already happened. Yeah, I mean, he made some very important movies, yes. and uh, but clearly was towards the end, and they just... Uh, weren't careful, but but now there is a movie that not only are you happy with, but everybody I know who's seen it. Um, I won't. I haven't gone to an industry screening because I have to go see that movie in the theater the night it opens by myself. But everyone I know who's seen it really loves it. it feels like it represents Matt Scudder in a way. Do you? I, re I really feel that way. Yes, uh, there are there are any number of ways in which it departs in uh, plot terms. Uh, and incident terms from uh, the book. And some of those changes are, to my mind, inevitable. I mean, there's a whole uh, <coughs> sequence there with a couple of computer ca hackers, the Kongs, and it just doesn't work uh, for a present-day audience. It's it, uh, sure. even, even though the book was set at a time, uh, the movie is set at a time when it did w would work, it would just, uh, you know, you'd have to hand, hand out cards in the lobbies tell, telling everybody under 50 that it really was like that, you know. So uh, so there were changes like that. Um, and there are other changes that I would not have been inclined to make, but I wasn't the screenwriter, you know. And, and Scott did a, a brilliant job adapting it. You can't take a book that long and that complicated and not cut aspects of it. So I'm very, very happy with what wound up on the screen. I'm so glad to hear that because uh, I know, you know, Scott started working on that. Scott Frank is one of the great writers and directors and uh, making movies. I mean, started working on it, what, 10 years ago? Longer. Longer. He, uh, he optioned it sometime in the oh, I think that around 96, 97, something like that. The book was came out in '92, and it hadn't been out that long when when he expressed interest and optioned it, and worked on it, and then a deal came together, and a deal fell apart, and then it was absolutely uh, done. I mean, they they stopped after a while; they stopped renewing the option. Right. So it was uh, it, <clears throat> the good news was I owned it. The bad news <laughs> was that I owned it, and uh, and nothing happened for the longest time, and then all of a sudden it all came together. Had you told yourself? to stop thinking about whether a movie was going to end up happening or did you believe that it was going to eventually? Well, I didn't think that movie was going to happen. Uh, I thought someone might film one of the Scudder books sooner or later, but I really uh, didn't think that deal was ever going to have life in it again. Yeah, I remember when the people working on it told me they were going to finally really do it. I remember saying to them, you might want to call Larry to get the rights Again, <laughs> indeed, indeed. As you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I remember just feeling really such joy that it because it seems like as, as you know the way you describe becoming a writer and people who know you, your process when you finally go to write a book sounds like the dream process that most writers wish they could do. In other words, once you start to write, generally, no small town, a few books you've had uh, difficulty, but generally you're able to just write them in a period of a few weeks, a Except month. for the ones that d just don't get finished at all and uh, and 
they used used to <laughs> they used to languish in a drawer. Now they're in some uh, some half finished thing in a file. No, now they're now they're in a uh, <clears throat> a hard drive of a computer that doesn't work anymore. So, yeah. so there's no danger in anyone. <laughs> that's right. But but that's the the you know you do tell stories all, uh, of uh, hey I I went and I rented a room and four weeks later I wrote you know I came out with a book but the movie piece has been arduous for you it's like it, it feels like as easy as the book thing where you've written a hundred books or how many novels have you written do you think? I don't honestly know but it's it's over a hundred but I don't know and yet uh, only what four movies? Three movies out of your have been made. Yeah, there were three movies made. None of which uh, you really no. like. <laughs> but no, and it's not really the discontented author here because I shared this opinion with the entire world, except possibly the uh, you know the director's mother. I was say, the director had to, in most of the cases probably. No, I mean one they changed the gender of your hero. Yeah, that still could have been a good movie, except it wasn't. It know? didn't quite work either. No. Uh, burglar, but. Um, uh, do do you do you have a sense of uh, happiness about this? Does it does it make you happy beyond the fact that it's going to drive people to the books? Like, did seeing it on screen have any emotional impact on you at all? Um, I'll probably know that a little better after I see it in the theater, but. Um, I, I get a great satisfaction in the fact that it's happened, and that and, and that they did it well, you know. Um, yeah, that's 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 about the best way I can put it. I think uh, I'm I'm very happy, and uh, you know, <clears throat> and someone someone the other day said that that uh, said on Facebook that they had heard on some show that. Uh, a sequel had been green-lighted. Well, that's not going to happen until they find out what the box office looks like, you know, clearly. But I I, I replied to the woman. I, I said, well, I haven't heard that yet. I said, but from your keyboard to God's hard drive, you know. Yeah, perfect. Great. Well, uh, I imagine that everyone will try to do another since the movie's going to, it seems like, uh, is going to work and you have the perfect guy playing the part. Exactly. Do, uh, do you have, uh, have you thought about which book you'd want? in the series to get filmed next? I threw that out as a, a question to people on, on Facebook just to see what kind of uh, reaction I would get from that. And it was fascinating uh, how just, but you know, everybody had a different book in mind. Um, a Ticket to the Boneyard has always struck me as eminently filmable because it's not a whodunit. It's, it's more a, a pure thriller. Yeah. Uh, Dance at the Slaughterhouse. That's the one I would. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, uh, if you're going to start reading the Matt Scudder, so there's 17 in the 17, 17 plus, books. Plus uh, the Night and the Music, plus, plus the, the short stories. stories. Um, someone asked this on Twitter the other day, and uh, I do think it's worth going back and starting at the first book, The Sins of the Fathers, um, and going straight through. I think the other two spots you could pick potentially are. Uh, Eight million ways to die, because it's right in the. It, it's at a crucial point, and then you could go backwards, yeah. or you could start at Tombstone, I guess, since the movies. Or you can start out. at Sacred General, sure. which is, uh, in certain respects, a, a more mature book than the very early ones. But it's set. It's uh, 
recollected, so it, it takes place temporally yeah. at the same time. It's as called When the Sacred Gin Mill Closes. And uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a, an excellent book. And it was written at a time when you were, uh, I think, creatively unsure how to proceed because the character had changed a great deal in the book before, right? Oh, I thought I was done. Uh, after Eight Million Ways to Die, which was the fifth book in the series, I, I don't think we're spoiling anything enormously to say that's that's the book where Scudder, who's just been a heavy drinker in early books, uh, has to come to terms with alcoholism and, and um, address it. And that's one of the major themes of the book. Uh, the others are that, that New York is a, and the world are two perilous places to live and uh, and the particular case uh, that he's confronted with. And uh, I thought I was done. I, I figured he'd had this catharsis in the course of an eight-book, of a five-book sequence, and how many catharses does one character get to, get to have, you know, and uh, I thought I was through. And I've thought I was through many times, as you know, over over the series. We've 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 talked about this, and with uh, with Genmail, I got sort of tricked into it in a way. And that uh, a fellow named Bob Randizi reminded me that I had promised to write a Scudder short story. I had uh, for uh, for a collection he was um, dreaming of, and. Uh, I, uh, I said, well, I don't think I can. And Otto Penzler, who was going to publish it, said, oh, it would really be great if you could. And I said, I think I'm, I'm done with it. And then I thought of a way to do a short story set in the past. And it wound up being, oh, probably you would call it even a, a novelette about 8,500 words long. And a year or two after that, I thought about the story and thought about a way to incorporate another plot line in it as well, and wound up, well, more than expanding it, because I, I, I inflated it from 8,000 words to about 90,000, so a factor of 10. And the book worked out well, but I still thought I was done with the series, because how do you follow that? Yeah, I mean, you, this idea of uh, being tapped out, yeah. is something that that I've heard you talk about a great deal over the last 10 years, I'd say. Sure. I, I have thought I was done writing novels. I've thought that a couple of times. And, and yet you're, and I wonder how it, I've always wondered this, how it ties into, um, you remind me of the title of the memoir you wrote about walking and writing. What's the title? Step by Step. So, Larry wrote this book step by step, and and it's a really excellent look at these twin. I don't know. You probably wouldn't call them obsessions of your life, but these. Would you call them obsessions? I'd call them ways to waste time. <laughs> Writing and walking. Uh, but you've spent a lot of. I mean, you've been wasting a lot of time in your in your life because when most people walk, they they take a walk. But you've done these things where you've entered twenty four hour. Walking races. Yeah. Endur what do you call those things? 24-hour races. <laughs> That's catchy. That is catchy. No, so... It's an insider's term. That's what I yeah. thought. I knew yeah. it was a term yeah. of art. Yeah. Um, and it, it strikes me that... Uh, I mean, what do you see as the similarity between those things? 
you bundled them in. A, I mean, you certainly bundled the I, stories of them in the book that you wrote. Well, yeah. Uh, the in the book, the the similarity of the two activities were the, were both ones that I seemed to be pursuing uh, with <laughs> with mixed success. But um, I don't I don't know that one's a metaphor for the other or anything like that. I do know that um, that it absolutely astonishes me to realize that only maybe seven years ago I covered 70 miles in a 24-hour race and now and you I, were 68 years old you yeah know, right yeah and now I could do that in a car but only if somebody else was driving <laughs> and and <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this crap about age, you know, that it's only a number. Uh, sure. So, <laughs> so 70 miles, it's only a number. Uh, are you still walking around the city? Like, did, do you still walk uh, in the city? or you know Not much? very much. Not very much. But, and do you miss it? Sometimes. I, I'm really, I, I think of the, the time I used to spend, because when I was training for uh, marathons and races like that, I'd be two, three, or more hours a day out walking, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, uh, and you've walked all around the world too, right? I mean, you've well, seen. You've been, I mean, you've, you can't. There's water. Well, thank you. But you've been. You've been to like a hundred countries, and oh yeah, my wife and I have traveled a lot. We've been to. I've, I I used to have a accurate count. I think it's around 165. What I want to talk about about the walking, because it's easy to walk away from it and say, walk away to say that it's not sort of uh, active as a metaphor. But I take it away from the metaphor. I think it it, it still illustrates a certain a deep part of your character. That, that may be. That, that may be. There are there are things I just just thinking now. Uh, I think. Either writing or distance walking would be a bad idea for someone who doesn't have much of an inner life. What do you mean by inner life? <clears throat> oh, an ability to amuse oneself within the confines of one's own mind. And so you mean for you uh, b being able to distract yourself from what you're doing or, or having the force of will uh, to propel yourself forward? Probably both. And and what do you think enabled you to lock into that that force of will? You know, because so many people so many people uh, ask about writing uh, or ask about a creative endeavor or uh, think they're suddenly going to know that they're gifted. And I'm just wondering how much of it you felt like you were going to take those take it out of the uh, Take the question out of those hands and just reduce it to uh, to doing it in these areas. Like how conscious the choice was that you were just going to like uh, power through. Well, there's a certain amount of that. You know, the you were talking before about my preferred way of writing a book, which is uh, going off somewhere for a month and coming back with a book. And uh, I, I find that that works very well for me. I, I, I like uh, 
writing in isolation that way. Uh, but it's not as though I'm doing nothing but writing each day. What it is is that when I'm off in isolation like that, I don't stop writing until the day's work is done. And the fact that I'm just there for a month, that that's what I'm there for, and that enables me to do it. I still let myself get distracted. I'll have, uh, I'll switch to Facebook or Twitter in the middle of a paragraph, you know, and things like that. Uh, that that's fine. But then I'll go back to it, and I'll keep on, and if I run into the evening, I do, and if I finish my stint earlier, that's fine, but that's essentially it. And I I can't do that the same way as staying at home and having my life right there in the room with me. The distance from the regular environment, it like enables you to then take this disciplined approach somehow. It seems it seems to be a factor. I just finished a book. I went off uh, in July. Uh, this this was the most remarkable thing. Uh, Lynn and I were in May, in the middle of May, were on our way to the airport, uh, to Kennedy, to fly to Belgium, where we're going to spend two weeks hanging out. You know, nothing in particular, just three <coughs> charming towns and three and A couple charming weeks. people. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's what we felt. And on the way, we're in the, <coughs> the cab, and I'm talking about the reception that Borderline got, which is a book of mine from 1960 or 61 that was recently republished by Hard Case Crime and that I have, I must admit, not read since I wrote it, but um, for fear that if I read it first, I wouldn't let Charles republish it. Right. And uh, and it got, it's been getting really nice reviews um, to my, I guess it's evident to my astonishment. And uh, maybe they're right, but whatever it was, I wound up thinking about that. And I said to Lynn, you know, what might be fun even would be to write a book like that in the sense that, a, a, oh, a tough, non-series, low-down, noir crime novel, not terribly long, like 60, 65,000 words, something like that. I think that might be interesting to do. And she said, yeah, I can see where you would enjoy that. And not 30 seconds later, I said, I just got an idea. Really? You Swear just to had God, book, just like that. The book came into your head. Not the entire book, but enough of it. And uh, and now one gets loads of ideas, as, as as you know, and most of them are garbage. And even the ones that aren't garbage, they usually don't resonate somehow. But I found myself thinking about this all the time we were in Belgium, and it began to develop for me. We came home uh, beginning of June, and I booked an apartment for the month of July in Philadelphia, and I took the train down there, and I wrote the book. And um, it was work. Writing is work, but it was doable, and it worked out fine. And I, did you? Are you publishing it yourself? Did you? No. No, um, I figured the perfect house for it would be uh, Hard Case Crime. It was their, very much their kind of book, and uh, and I I can I just know Charles will have a 
wonderful cover for it. And I'll, so did you and show I'll it rest. to him? Have you shown it to him yet? Oh, they're doing it in so September next well, it's, year. It's coming out September next year. Yeah. Have you announced the title yet? No, I haven't. What is it? Oh, all right. <laughs> it's the girl with the deep blue eyes. Oh, that's great. Thank you. That's fantastic. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to read it. It's funny. You told me you go. Uh, I don't because now I understand because you hadn't reread it. I told you that I'd ordered the book for the last one, and you said uh, maybe don't don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want you to read it. <laughs> I, I took a picture this morning, and I'll tweet it when this interview is up of my two shelves of Lawrence Block books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been in my apartment. I'm sure you saw yes, that yes, there's indeed. just uh, book after book after book uh, that you've written, but. So, okay, that explains one piece of it, the going, the going away. Um, but as somebody, and I know you were somebody who you've written about this, who lived a very undisciplined life for a, like a long time. How, I mean, can you tell the story about how you became a runner, for instance? You know, now there's like couch to 5K and they tell you, you know, don't overexert. There are all these sort of ways people start to become a runner. You were someone who had just become, I guess, sober. Yeah. Had been living kind of a crazy, I mean, you've written about this life, um, wanton, drinking, sex, the whole deal. And how did you, as you started to get yourself together? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Well, yeah, I remember I just, a writer friend of mine, Philip Friedman, I knew knew had run a couple of marathons. He was the only person I knew who had. This was in maybe 77. So anyway, one day I went out and I thought about running. So I was just wearing, you know, hard street shoes and everything else. Right. What did I know? And I was, I lived a couple of blocks from Washington Square at the time. And I went there and I ran for a while. And then I walked for a little while and I ran. And um, you just like ran as far as you could, right? Well, yeah, but that wasn't terribly far, right. and I, 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 I did it slowly in that. And I uh, then I called up Philip uh, after and said, uh, what does one do? He said, well, that's basically it. You might want some real shoes. So I, I went out and got a, got a pair of uh, shoes, and I, I started doing that. And I just uh, did, I guess it was... Five times around. I guess I guess I was doing three miles a day because I would do five circuits of Washington Square Park. So that would have been five kilometers. That would have been just in '77. Uh, too, you're jogging as like guys are dropping from bad needles next to you, right? I, <laughs> in '77, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I, I would I would jog for a little while until I couldn't, and then I would walk until I my I was breathing the same, and I kept on. And I remember. Um, I don't know how long it took, but I remember quite vividly the first day that I was able to keep running for the full uh, five laps. And were you running like as hard as you could, or were you? Oh pacing no, no! Yourself? If I ran as hard as I could, I wouldn't have been able to go fifty yards. And, and what did you get from it? Do you think at that time? Older. Okay. What did you think? What do you think? What do you think you <laughs> got from? What do you think you got uh, from uh, uh, putting? Because you, you talk about in your writing practice back then, you would write and then you would exercise afterwards. And I mean that's in that. That's at in. some point, it, you know, the the routines would vary from from uh, depending from month to month. But yeah, I would do that. Do it at the end of the day. What did I get out of it? Yeah, I don't know. I got an immediate 
extraordinary sense of accomplishment because I'd been no athlete at all as a kid. I was born uh, out of shape and out of breath, you know, and and, and it, it didn't improve. But um, so that that was extraordinary. The idea that I could do something athletic, not well, but who cares? You know, I was old enough for it not to matter that I couldn't do it well. And uh, um. I don't know what else. Uh, at times, it seemed to me that it, it had some sort of salutary effect on on writing, but I don't even know if that's true. And what do you think led you to then want to race, compete? Just the kind of guy I am. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that, that's fine. I understand. Except you've you've written about all this stuff. What do you really? When you, now I understand this is a reflexive answer, right? But but if uh, if I try uh, to pry just a little bit, um, your output is so remarkable, uh, whether you think of it that way or not. And uh, I think of it that way in the aggregate. Uh, I don't know that doing a book a year is that extraordinary but there were times you wrote three oh, books in a year well yes so that's i mean that's not usual no that's extraordinary yeah <laughs> oh. but i mean what is it in you and this is what ties into the running thing because i think that when people look at since people look at artists and writers and they they uh they think it's all magic and i think that you're a real um example of grit I think it's magic. What kind of magic? That the ideas come. That that um, that these people come from out of nowhere and wind up on the page. Uh, a lot of that is magic. Um, but a lot, ma- said a lot of people get ideas. Oh, of, oh it's, so, it's, so it's magic. magic it's be- magic that only amounts to something be- because of the hard work. No question. That. So yeah. how did that? How did what? What what is it in you? Do you think that that enabled you to uh, take that moment of insight, magic, and manifest it over and over again? And I'm wondering if it's the same thing that enabled you to you know walk for 24 hours. Well, hours. the walking for 24 hours is just stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> more than more than anything else, and uh, the walking is not not something that, in addition to being done, has to be done well. The writing is this requirement. Someone's going to uh, read it. One hopes. I don't want anyone doing anything equivalent to my race performance. You don't want anyone watching. No, <laughs> you race. But so, what is it that 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 uh, enabled yourself, even in your wild years, to get the work done and to do this work, do you think? Well, there's probably a couple of answers to that. Um, One is that it's my metier. I know... uh, I think it was Gloria Steinem once said that writing was her metier, and she knew that because it met the, meant, met the three requirements of metier. 
one um, that when she was doing it, she never felt she really should be doing something else. Uh, two, it was a source of satisfaction and occasionally of pride. And three, it was terrifying. Right. Great. Uh, wonderful definition. Um, so, so that's that's the one of the answers. Another answer, and it's one that I've given occasionally when people have asked how I get so much done, how I've been so productive over the years, and nobody believes that I'm serious. Everybody thinks I'm being ironic or funny or something or other, but I, I say it's because I'm incredibly lazy, and it's true. And uh, that's why I write a book in a month, so that I you don't can be done to, with it. So that I don't have to write it in two months, right? That's why the first draft is generally the final draft, so I don't have to do it again. <laughs> right. So that's it. That's it. You've done it. Yes. So let me flip it a little bit, and because and, as, as you said, uh, yeah, people have to read the books. Um, do you understand? And I, I, you know, you've written many different series. You've had uh, a series about Bernie. Uh, a series about Evan Tanner, series about uh, hit, you know, the Hitman. Uh, you've had uh, just a number, and I'm leaving yes. a, a bunch yes, out. This is the best. Uh, the Martin Eingraf series. Yes. Uh, and uh, well, I have no notes, everybody. This is just like actually, I've read all these <laughs> books so many times that I actually just know them all <laughs> horrifically. The, the, the drive time DJs never manage this. They don't, right? No, they don't have never. all of it. No. But um, but to, uh, I'm wondering if the way in which the books resonate for people uh, surprised you at a certain point, whether you or whether you felt that they they would, and and then whether it it has mattered to you over over the years or helped you to keep doing it. Well, certainly. Uh... The fact that people like the books is important to me. It's important to me one way in that in the, in the yeah. one wants on the, to make uh, a living. Yeah, yes, food on the table. But, but beyond that, it's it's extremely gratifying. Um, and I don't know what I expected at the beginning. You know, I was 19 years old when I was uh, when I first started publishing stories. You know, and and. Uh, I used to think of myself as a mature 19, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> right. yeah. That may be sign number one that you're not a mature 19-year-old. It's being certain that you are. Oh. And, uh... Right, then it yeah. was, maybe there was an element of show. I mean, you, the story you, you've told is that, a, what, a teacher told you when you were a kid you were good at writing, and then you attached yourself to that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, was, um, it was my third year in high school. 11th grade, and uh, I was enjoying writing compositions for English class and sort of having fun with it. I think I was also writing poems at the time, too, but but in uh, one uh, composition, it was a life plans thing, and in, in, because I didn't know what I was going to do, and I just wrote about all the things that had occurred to me, starting when I wanted to be a garbage man when I was four years old because I saw the guys on the trucks all the time and my mother told me that they get chapped hands and that was the end of that. I figured the hell with it. Right. 
uh, and I've never regretted that, by the way. No job for a lazy man, no, by the way. No, it isn't. It Not isn't. In any way, shape, uh, or form. Uh, far too much lifting. They, yeah, uh, work and, hard, uh, hard, hard. So I wrote a, a, a composition about this, and I had a certain amount of fun with it, and she wrote on it. She, I, I, the thing ended with one thing I'm sure on reading over what I've written is that I can never be a writer. And she wrote, you know, A or whatever, and I'm not too sure about that. And from that moment on, this is this is really true. From that moment on, I never entertained the idea of of doing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That was it. Yeah, yeah. That so like the, uh, other people maybe would just uh, be happy they pulled one over on the teacher or whatever and move on. But that hit you. I mean, talk about a moment. I yeah, mean, that moment. Yeah, yeah it was, was a, like it was wonderful. Changed because uh, it had never occurred to me before, and it and nothing else ever occurred to me after. You know, it was. It was really watershed time. And would you tell people, I'm going to be a writer? Yeah. And everybody thought that meant journalism. You knew it didn't. Yeah, I knew it didn't. You knew you'd make up stories? Yeah. And had you? And did you start, you were doing poetry, but you start making up stories then? Oh, when I got to college, I guess I started little fragments of stories and things. And, uh, but you know, by the end of my... I guess the story, the story that was my first sale, I wrote um, the summer after my freshman year at college when I was in New- living in New York for the first time. Do you, so, do you think that the talent, that, you know, there's always this question about talent and work and writing, and I know you spent some time having hosting a writing seminar to try to help people become unblocked, and I, I know on Twitter people ask you these questions, mm-hmm. uh, and you try to encourage people. And I, I remember once you saying, uh, yeah, talent matters. The thing is you never know if someone has, like uh, you've read things and thought the person had no talent and three years of hard work later you realize they did, they just didn't know how to show it. So you what can, do you feel about you, that? You can see talent sometimes and it's it's really vivid and, and, and magical. But uh, you can't see for certain the absence of talent. A friend of mine who's... Uh, you know, made a decent living writing for, I don't know, maybe maybe close to 40 years now. Uh, he decided, because he was friends with a lot of writers, he decided he wanted to write a book. And he quit his job so that he could do this, which struck me as bizarre. Uh, crazy, really. Well, yeah. well, he was, you know, late 20s, and he... Uh, his wife was working and and they had no kids and a a low overhead and he could always get another job it was an editorial job somewhere and he wrote the book and he gave it to me and it was absolutely terrible terrible on every page and I didn't know what the hell to do so I gave it to my agent who also knew my friend and I got a call from the agent and then said, uh, I'm uh, about 50 pages into Justin's book. Uh, does it get any better? And I said, no, that's that's pretty, pretty much what it is. And he said, well, uh, 
well, what, what am I going to say to him? Because he, he, he really, I think he stinks as a writer. What, what am I going to say? And I said, well, don't say that. I said, don't, don't say anything yet. Because I, I told him I really didn't feel capable of judging. That's why I handed it to you. I said, don't say anything yet because he started another. And he said, oh, God. I said, I said, no, I saw the first chapter of the new one, and it didn't look so bad. And then the, the second book he wrote, he showed to Henry. Henry gave him some suggestions and sold it. So, <laughs> and then, and, and it was awful. And then through just working at it, he became better. It, yes. And it's, it's impossible to describe how awful the first one was. You know, it's as if he had to clear his throat before he could sing. Right. That bad. Yeah. Which was instructive to you and why you feel like you can't tell somebody you can't you do can't it. know you can't you can't really know um now if he'd been writing for 15 years and showed you that then you could know you know if it hadn't gotten better right but you're saying early on yeah early on if someone's not lying to themselves and they're really they feel that there's a story they have to tell and they want to keep trying you're not in the business of discouraging that just because the initial effort or two yeah. might fall short of yeah. standards. Were you good about taking cre uh, notes in, in the beginning or uh, editorial suggestion? I had trouble understanding them. There was one point where um, oh, my agent submitted a book to Lee Wright, who was a very important editor in the mystery field. She was the mystery editor at Random House. And she had me come in to talk about it. And she was just sort of floating ideas, hoping that something would resonate with me. But all I knew was that I couldn't figure out what how to do any of that. So I, ne I never even, I never made any effort. Um, it, it took a while. One difficulty with writing professionally at at that early an age is that I I may have known how to write, but I, I knew crap about everything else in the world. Right. You had to deal with people, how yeah, to yeah. manage a professional career. Anything like that, yeah. Right. And why do you why do you think that is? Do you think you had led a sheltered time before you I mean you you were married young? Yeah. And not ready for any of that. Uh -huh. No, not, not, not ready. <laughs> That's a gentle way to put it. Right. <laughs> uh, and then have ended up, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people would take all that stuff and, 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 and write what's considered like uh, literary fiction not, without uh, a genre motor. Mm -hmm. You've found a way to use all that stuff in service of, or maybe you use the plot in service of being able to talk about all that stuff. Was that conscious, or did you just use whatever was going on? No. I, uh... Very little about my career has been uh, what you could call conscious. Um, no, I... I just would, you know, get an idea for a book and, and do it. I, I... It took me a while before I knew I was in the crime fiction genre. I, I respected crime writing and, and certainly did a fair amount of it, but I did an awful lot of other things as well. 
And, uh, I mean, I've got even different pen names are all over the place. I, I have uh, I've done... Jill Emerson? Uh, Jill Emerson is what I was thinking of. Jill Emerson's first two books are sense of sensitive novels of the lesbian experience. She followed that with uh, three, oh, <clears throat> structurally uh, experimental and um, kind of edgy uh, erotic novels. Uh, then a big pulpy novel, uh, Peyton Place type of book. And, and this is all you writing under a woman's name. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. Jill Emerson. Yeah. And when you were doing that, and you say, I understand that your career hasn't been in any way, you know, not a lot of uh, sort of conscious planning career-wise. But when, you would, when you're working, when you're creating, are you at all aware you're, wor you're working out things that you're thinking about or wondering about or, hey, I'm living this very structured life, married, I'm drinking, I'm doing whatever, so I'm going to write... I'm going to write oh, these no. books about another no, no, character. No, no, it's just like, no, hey, they're no, going to no, pay me no, to do this. No, not at all. I'm, it's just a, a story that I'm telling. And any re any relationship it has with who I am or, or anything else, it, it's on another plane. Consciously, it's on another plane. But you know, like, your friends could read some of these books and see you in... I mean, we can see you in them. Yeah, and you can think you do. I mean, I'm not sure those... The two are the same, but um, uh, yeah, but okay, fair enough in some sense. But uh, you're a coin collector. You were a coin collector. Oh, 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 yes. And uh, not only that, though, when when your character is at a coin convention in a small place in Texas and dealing with a certain sort of person, if I've heard you describe those sort of people in life, and then the characters, uh. Uh, you know, m reflecting on the people in the same way, it it does sort of like uh, create very little difference between oh, you and oh, the character oh, going oh, through oh, the world. Oh, sure, I can I can understand that. Yeah. Um, were you always doing? I guess the question: Were you always doing that? Were you always using? Well, you have to. You have to. How else are you, are you going to find things for somebody to talk about unless it's something you know? But um, yeah, I, I've I've done that. Um, one thing I really well while I was writing this last book, one thing I I really couldn't figure out was how on earth I got anything done in the days before Google and Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> How how did how did well, I how did I find out anything? Well, yeah, my my oh, you know, and I want to probably spend the remainder of our time talking about Scudder because I have a lot of sort of questions about what that's meant to you. But probably my second favorite series series character of yours is Evan Michael Tanner, and his entire existence would be impossible now. Uh, in the job, you know, his way of uh, sustaining himself, which is. Uh, He's read more than everyone at the library. He's able to do things that now people could just do on Google, it seems. <laughs> They're yeah. great books. I mean, The Thief Who Couldn't Sleep is one of the great comic caper novels I've ever read. And uh, But in a, his job of writing papers for... Thank you. In the in the eighth book, which is which is twenty eight years after after the seventh book, I, I wrote it, and he it's explained. It's a book called Tanner on Ice, and it's explained that he's spent the intervening time in a <clears throat> frozen food locker, 
in uh, Union City, New Jersey, in a sub-basement, and he was thawed out. And so he's the same age as, as he was then, which uh, clears a hurdle that awaits us all in this, this series fiction. And um, But he emerges into a world that, you know, he thought, um, you know, he remembered... I don't think Nixon was quite president when he, yet when he got uh, in the last one. Yeah, and uh, and and then he he uh, he uh, comes to, and he's in a world of computers. You know, it was 1998 was when the book was written, so it was it was very different. But he found he found ways to function. Well, I'm interested in that. You have managed uh, to really stay current with technology your whole life in a way that many people as they age just decide not to. I mean, I've had people look at me and I'm just in my late 40s and say like, how are you even aware, Brian, of what podcasts are? How are you tweeting? You know, I, I, you're a real example for me because, I mean, you were someone who realized authors have to market their own books 25 years before people mm -hmm. were aware of it. You were always using whatever the most cutting edge way was to communicate with and build an audience. Like, that's another, for a lazy person, is it just that you were interested, fascinated by it? How, what, what made I, you able to do all that? I was interested enough, though. There, there are lots of things. The whole thing with, um, with what we call social media, because it so brilliantly takes the place of our social lives. Um, I got on Facebook because I thought, what a wonderful way to be in touch with friends I've lost touch with. And I was on Facebook for quite a while before it occurred to me that there was any commercial reason to be there. You're, so you were just you were following your curiosity and enthusiasm, a absolutely, and just diving in. I mean, that's what I've a done in all these things yeah. too. Uh, I had no idea I was going to have like a Twitter, you know, this like big conversation yeah. with a bunch of people. Yeah, it just seemed really fun. But, I mean, you're 75 years old and you're still... 76. 76 years old and you're still... You don't look a day over 75, Larry. <laughs> and you're still... Uh, it's the makeup. It must be. Uh, but but you are still... Uh, I think if someone invented a new way of communication tomorrow, you would dive right in. You don't have any I, sort I, of... I'd really be pissed off at sure. what I would I, be because <laughs> enough is enough. But... No, there's a certain kind of uh, techno fatigue that sets in. You know, I've kept up with this and this and this, and that's enough. And get away from You're me. Done now? Yeah, <laughs> I hope not. But no, uh, I don't but, think that you. But, but I, don't... I know the feeling. Uh, yeah, I uh, I enjoy it. You know, I I think it's it's very unfortunate that a lot of writers are are told essentially. You've got to do this. You've got to do Facebook. You've got to do Twitter. You've got to blog. You've got to, got to do all this stuff. Uh, that's a terrible idea for a lot of people. It only makes sense if you enjoy it. Well, also, you'll only um, be good at doing it, probably. Yes, if you enjoy it, right. Because people can, it seems to me that authenticity is like the only commodity in a way, um, other than nudity. I mean, clearly yeah. nudity, uh, but but yeah. no, it, All, uh, sincerity if you can yeah. fake it. Yeah. But but but, the, but it is like sort of the prime valued thing. Yes, uh, mm -hmm. is authenticity, and, uh, and and you have it. You've been having this conversation with your audience through your newsletter and going out and seeing them for a really long time. Yeah. 
do you have you always enjoyed the back and forth with with readers? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, and um, you know, I I answer emails. Um, partly out of politeness, I suspect. I, uh, but um, it's a funny thing with, with technology. Um, I no longer answer letters that come in the physical postal mail. It's, it's, well, those are just from crazy people. It, it, <laughs> that's, that's the position I take. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I got one, one time from somebody, you know, I thought you'd really appreciate, you know, a handwritten letter. I appreciate it fine, but don't expect to hear from it. right in the garbage. Well, no, it's like the person who comes when you do a book reading and who lingers so that they're the last person on the line. Oh, that's always scary. Because they have something to say, right? Yep. Can you, how, you spot them pretty quickly? No. Once in a while, though, there's just a feeling you get that it, and it isn't really scary, but there's something they want this exchange to give them, and I don't know what it is, and I ain't got it. That's uh, they, the, that's they, they want they want a, a personal connection in what is essentially an impersonal situation. Yeah, it's very hard for you to sort of meet that expectation. Well, I'm not going to kill myself trying. There's, there's, I, I, I can't, and I, I may puzzle over it a little, but I'll, I'm just ready to move on to the next spot. This is from book tour days, and I hardly do any of that anymore. I remember going to see you in, on the, the West Side when I was really young in my early 20s, and uh, uh, I might have been one of those kids who wanted was, to try to... Was I decent? Was I... Ish, you bought shaved head, maybe an earring. No earring. Sh- shaved head, yeah, definitely shaved head, shaved head, big mustache, yeah. and uh, no, it was fine. I'd a- I asked you to sign an old book that was a serial killer book of yours, and I asked you to sign it to the name of the character who was a serial killer, Jimmy John Hall. Mm, yeah, not going home to you is the book. Yep. Um, and it's one of the great serial killer books, and. Uh, and I remember just saying, hey, would you sign this thing to Jimmy John? And you sort of, you know, you're just signing. And I go like, you know, Jimmy John Hall. And then you looked up and did a triple take <laughs> just to make sure I wasn't actually. But it was for, a, I mean, it was for, uh, what I'm going to say right now is it was for a friend who I knew would get a kick out of it when yeah. I sent it. And then I had you sign one to me too. But I do want to talk about Matt Scudder a little bit. Sure. As, as you know, um, uh, I, this show is called The Moment and I'm, always interested in these inflection points in people's lives, like the big moments and, and, you know, people who do remarkable things process them. And I'm, I, I, I kind of know in a way what your answer is going to be, but was there a time where you thought to yourself early on, and I know you thought about stopping them, that the Scudder books were going to, in a way, represent a big part of like what your life's work and legacy was going to be? Well, I certainly didn't think that early on. After the first three books, which sat in in Dell's inventory for an extra year or so and almost didn't get published at all. What do you mean they sat in their inventory? Dell was having um, internal problems at the time. That was the publisher, Dell. And 
the story I heard was that the sales department and the editorial department weren't really getting along very well. And they wound up giving back much of their inventory of purchased manuscripts, just send them back to the authors. You can keep the advance, but go fly a kite, you know, whatever. And uh, so an awful lot of inventory just uh, got sent back that way. Other books were published. The Scudder books were published, but they didn't really get enough distribution to matter. Two of them came out in the same year, didn't they? Yeah. Like in 73? No, two in seventy six, two in seventy five, and one in seventy six, I believe. Right, and um, you know, and they didn't sell well. They didn't get out, Um, and and there was uh, there was no real likelihood. Certainly, Dell wasn't going to do more of them, and um, getting any publisher interested in a series that someone else had already failed with was. Not something that happened well at that time. But what kind of hold did that character have on you? I a wonder. considerable one, because I, I then wrote uh, two novelettes for Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine, and then I wrote a fourth novel. And I I called my agent. And I, I I said I uh, I really uh, I know. Nobody's going to care, but I would like to do another book about uh, Scudder. And and my agent said, you have to follow your impulses. You have to do what you want. And if we have enough trouble, we'll just change his name. I mean, he was a practical man in addition to having a certain sensitivity. And and, uh, the book uh, did sell. And then the book after that was Eight Million Ways to Die, which was uh, important to the series. And and, and which so was a on. hit. I mean, a, a hit book. I mean, that book became that book mattered to people a lot and sent them back to the first book, right? Yeah, yeah. It no, it didn't have any enormous sale. It didn't. It didn't move a, t- a ton of copies by any means, but uh, it got some attention. And did it, it? So, what was it? Do you think? Because what the reader gets in those books and from that character is a very primal connection, and it always seems like you have a very primal connection to that character and you know you've said to me at times he's my you know he's my age yeah it took me a while to realize that um in uh, the 12th book in the series a long line of dead men is so much about aging and mortality and the passage of time that it would have been evasive not to um pin an age on scudder in that book so i i figured well what age is he and, you know, when I first started writing about him, I thought of him as probably a few years older than I, uh, though not much. But uh, at, at that point, I, I just thought, you know, I think I think we're about the same age, and that'll make it a lot easier to keep it but, straight. Uh, well, with A Long Line of Dead Men, what's so interesting to me is, uh, you know, my earlier sort of thesis about uh, you using these the, the genre you didn't write lit fiction. You wrote these genre things and maybe used these elements. But around A Long Line of Dead Men, which is my favorite book in the series, um, you sneakily started writing literary fiction and just calling calling them <laughs> oh, <laughs> crime well, novels, right? Well. I mean, uh, because to me, you very overtly in that book, as you just said, started... Um, the distance between your consciousness and Matt Scudder's consciousness seemed to have gotten very slight. Hmm. Uh, 
Maybe. You know, when, yeah. when and, and I, so is that sort of when you, and I know there've only been, there've been, it's funny because you, when you wrote the next one after that, I think you thought you were maybe done for a while. Well, I, I keep having that thought occasionally, though, no, I, I didn't really think that until after Hope to Die. Because I was doing just about one a year, and then after Hope to Die... I, Which was what, number 14 or 15? 15. 15. Flowers was, Flowers six, was 16. 16. And Drop of the Heart stuff was 17. Right. And uh, but what, did you, at a certain point, whether it's there or you said certainly not in the beginning that you thought this was sort of like your legacy or your life's work or somehow different than the other books. Do you understand why the connection people have? And I know some people may be burglar, but you know what I mean? The, the connection people have to this character and this, sure. these books, it, sure. does it make sense to you? And does it weigh it on you at all? It makes a kind of emotional sense to me, yeah, sure. Um, but as far as... No, it, it's... It's funny, I don't know how much of it is denial, but I really uh, don't think that I I spend a lot of, have a lot of self uh, tied up in the question of what will last and what people will be reading uh, after I'm not here to read over their shoulders. Um, and uh, I don't think I care. Um but as I said, that might, might simply be uh, be denial. Um, but when I speculate about it, I think, judging from what happens generally, um, I think the the Bernie Rodenbauer books are as likely to be read in twenty years as the Scudders are. Um, and it's entirely possible that none of it will. You, so, in, to, in your experience, is, you, is there, you think people, that there is enough of a group of people who have a connection to Bernie as due to Scudder? Well, they may not have that same kind of connection, but they uh, they find it amusing and entertaining, and that that's as likely to keep something well, alive true. as anything uh, else. I mean, the, bur- the burglar books and the thief books are funny, yeah. and the Scudder books aren't funny. Um, not there aren't any laughs in them. There are. Uh, there are laughs if people make amusing observations or have amusing conversations, but the books aren't. There, I, I guess what I'm getting yeah. at is, and I and and you, it's so funny. You're you're obviously a, a man of letters and have lived your life this way, but uh, you are so uh, unwilling to even dabble in pretension at all. But it. It feels to me that somewhere along the way, the Scudder books became something else for you as a writer. That they were that that there's that you understand that you're uh, not that there haven't been any freestanding books that have done this. That you understand you're on some on about something else when you do this. I think I, I think I understand what you mean, and I think that probably happened somewhere around the fourth or fifth book uh, for me. And is it when you decided to allow the character to become sober along with you? That was strange. Um, you know, it it's hard. I, I'm, obviously, the books are not channeled 
and and I do decide what gets on the page and and all all of that, but nevertheless, there's the decisions are made far more with the intuition than with the intellect, and in a stab in the dark, it was just clear that Scudder's drinking was more problematic. Um, and he was closer to appreciating it than in the the three earlier books. And that ends with him walking into and rapidly out of an AA meeting uh, and making the perfectly sensible decision to go have a drink. Uh, But uh, then after that, I knew what the next book was going to be about and that that would be uh, a theme there, yeah. And yet, when you made the decision to bring the things that you saw in the world of AA into the into those books, did did you have? I know you had certain artistic trepidation, which was, uh, "How am I going to keep writing this character that I love if he's uh, well?" I, I I didn't want to think beyond the book I was working on. That's right. that's a mistake generally, anyway. I think, but I. What I was concerned with when I was writing Eight Million Ways to Die was, is anybody going to want to read? I think the book runs at least 100,000 words, maybe 120. It was approximately double what of your the right. the length of an it's ordinary also, private novel. The first novel. book in that series, Sin, yeah, Sins, is a very yeah, thin is a yes, thin book. Yeah, right. so it was it was twice the size of, of uh, books one, two, and, and three, and I thought. That's a long time to spend listening to a whole book in the first uh, from the one first person narrator. Are, is it going to is it going to be tiresome for people? And I thought a publisher might offer that objection as well. And Don Fine at Arbor House never occurred to him. He was fine with it right away. But uh, but I just I, I just wrote it the way it felt as though it ought to be written, you know, which is the only thing I know how to do. It's to just tell the story the way it comes to you. It, well, is to write the book that feels as though it's there. You know, there's there's one uh, interesting exercise in imagination for a writer is to just imagine that the story or the book you're trying to write already exists somewhere in perfect form and you're trying to get as much of that down as you can. Oh, yeah. Well, just while we're here, quickly, uh, uh, the names of the three books of yours that are uh, your collected uh, writing about the process of writing are Telling... uh, There there, there uh, are a batch. There's uh, Telling Lies for Fun and Profit, uh, Spider, Spider, Spin Me a Web, uh, then two that we carved out of new uh, uh, later columns, um, the uh, the writers, the liar's Bible and the and the liar's companion, and there's one called Write for Your Life, which was about the seminar and and writing the novel. I've I've written far more about about writing, writing than than well, I know. These are books certainly. that for any artist, certainly uh, the Telling Lies for Fun and Profit and the Sp- and Spider. Uh, 
Um, and then the last, the one, the, the compilation you put out a, a couple of years ago, whichever one that was. Well, Liar's Bible and Liar's Companion. Yeah. Um, incredibly useful for anybody who is uh, thinking about doing any sort of creative endeavor. Uh, if you're thinking about writing uh, in particular, Larry, you gave you know exercises and just ways to think about routine and tricks, ways to trick yourself to work that are, I think are in, invaluable. Mm. Um, as you think about the Scudder character and, and you, and I guess when I, when, when you say in, in your mind, you're, you're, you've maybe written the last Scudder novel you're going to write. And once you told me, you think, well, what can, what, what kind of case is going to get him up and, and going? Uh, and I have to say, a highlight of my whole uh, life as a creative person was sitting at dinner with you and giving you the, the beginning of an idea that was ended up becoming the last Scudder story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how, but that's the way that Scudder gets into the, the heads of the people who, who love him as a character. Um, why really don't you think you, you, you're, you're interested in, in continuing? Well, the poor son of a as old as I am, you know, we, we've, we've established. You're still kicking. I'm still kicking, but I'm not. I'm not kicking doors in. You know, I, uh, I, I think he's a little old to be an action hero. Um, and I, more to the point, I think he's reached a particular stasis in his life and career. Um where he's probably done doing stuff. I could write a book. I could force a situation, force him into a situation and force myself through it. But, you know, I'd I'd really rather not write the book than write a book. You're happy to want. leave it. You, yes. It's you. You've written the... You, you don't have uh, regrets about the 17 books that exist. No, no. I think it's a nice, nice set. No, I agree that that, that it you. is, and uh, and now as you look, kind of look back uh, on all this stuff, and I love that you just finished a book that I guess we'll all see next September. Um, well, you could possibly. I mean, see I'll see it sooner. sooner I know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, do you feel like you've um, you've gotten the the recognition out of this that that you deserved? Uh, probably a lot more than, than I deserve. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm happy. And I'm finally a good movie, which everybody yes. should everybody should see. Um, listen, Larry, I've I've kept you a while. I so appreciate this. You know, as I, as I'm just realizing as I I do this, you know, when you when I'm talking to people whose work, even somebody who I mean, you and I have been friends for a very long time now. I realize Indeed. I think I was. Um, I think we've been friends almost 20 years uh, and uh, certainly like 18 yeah. years for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're, it's funny. Normally I'm able to sort of, uh, you know, wear friends sort of separate from this stuff, but your work uh, has just, has meant so much to me. Uh, and I'm just so grateful that you keep doing it. Thank and uh, I'm so glad that through this movie, I think, uh, many people are are going to be, you know, turned on to your work who don't know it, and uh, and if you're listening, uh, I'm telling you, 
go start at the first Matt Scudder book and you will not be able to stop. Read them all. And uh, even if Larry says it's not true, by the end of it, uh, I think you'll have a shot to know Larry Block uh, as well Probably as I know better, him. better than he wants you to. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Better than he wants you to. Larry, thanks for coming and doing this. The pleasure. And you can find me uh, on Twitter at Brian Koppelman. And Larry's on Twitter at, at Lawrence Block. Lawrence Block. That is imaginative. I'm, it took a lot of work. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.